Imagine having the life of your dreams. Not temporary cash and glory, but happiness and inner peace. Explore new ways to be a creator and take your own journey into greatness. Is it possible? What does it take to make that happen? It takes the person known for extreme results. He's called the cage breaker and the ultimate catalyst. Coming back from the brink of death and now crushing it for himself and his clients, this is your Ultimate Life Podcast with Kellen Flukiger. Hello and welcome today to today's episode of Your Ultimate Life. This is episode 835. This is the ep- uh, podcast dedicated exclusively to helping you create a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy by serving with your gifts and life experience. I'm grateful today to have special guest Nita Sweeney. Nita, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to have this chat. Me too. So, you know, one of the first things I always like to ask is I'd like you to tell everybody how Nita chooses to add good to the world. Well, I tell my story because um, I have had mental health issues on and off most of my life, and I have found tools to help me manage them and to live a life um, a life period because that wasn't that's never given, but that wasn't given. And in a much more effective way than I had much earlier in my life. So I, every day, wake up and try to figure out how can I be helpful to myself and others. And by sharing my story, that that has that seems to be the most effective way. It helps me connect with people, and then I can tell them the tools I've learned and help them use those tools or find the tools that work for them. So I love that. and. We, we as a species, we pass everything down through story. And so the fact that you have identified story as your powerful connection mechanism, teaching mechanism, and then supplement it with tools that people can use, adapt, or find their own, but to, to do something about it as they see themselves in your story. So that's wonderful. I want you to know that I'm grateful for who you are and what you're doing. That's a fabulous thing. So thank you for that. Thank you. Same to you. I, I, you. Your body of work is just amazing. I, I have to dive into this. One of your books specifically, I really wanted, I can't wait to dive into. So, Thank you. So let me ask a different question. So you've told me how you add good to the world. And I use that phrase, add good to the world, because, you know, if we're alive and breathing, we add carbon dioxide. But we have a choice about what else we add. We can add bitterness. We can add anger. We can add recrimination. We can add wistfulness or envy, but our most powerful contribution is when we consciously choose to add good to the world. And I love the way that you described that. So question number two is how come, like, what is it in your heart? Because you could have had whatever set of experiences you had, make whatever discoveries and changes you have and say, okay, I'm cool. But you have something in your heart that makes you want to do something more. So Tell me about that. What is in your heart to drive? Well, it's it starts out quite um, what could be called selfishly because I do this to save my own self, to save my own behind. Because when I don't share with others, when I don't um, present my most authentic self, I fail. I flounder, I, you know, become kind of a shell of a person. 
And once I figured that out, that invisible Nita is not healthy for me, that that helped me get over some of the fears I had around sharing my story. Um, I've always kind of been an open book, but the more that I learned that by sharing the gifts I've been given, uh, the things that I've learned, the better I feel, then that was that was kind of an extra motivator. And it, it, you know, I'm always a little bit hesitant to say that because a lot of people are very heart centered and they start with the what can I give? And I start with the how can I stay alive? Because that's been my biggest challenge most of my life is how can I stay on the planet? And so when I made that connection of the best way for me to be healthiest, the best way for me to be, um, I don't know, healthiest is the word that just keeps coming to mind for me, is to tell people what has happened in my life and to share with them the ways that I've found um, that work for me. And then the people for whom that resonates stay around. And the people who that doesn't resonate with them, they need to go find someone else. They will, because there's, everybody's so different. And we have kind of categories, but we're all, there's this great saying, um, I, it's, I attribute it to a, a, a running doctor, George Sheehan, but he said, we're each an experiment of one. So yes, there are some general principles, but what works for me might not work for you, but it might. And so I'm doing myself and the world a disservice if I don't tell you, this is what I tried and this is how it worked for me. And then um, I do coach people. And so I help them figure out what things might work for them. And then we try stuff and see what happens. I love that. And I have a friend who was also a guest on the show a little while ago, and he starts his talk. I've shared a stage with him a number of times, and he starts his talk with a big, bold proclamation. I am the most selfish person in the world. And he also runs a charity and does this and that and others. And he makes a lot of money and teaches people how to do that in real estate and stock market investing. And he runs an investor schooling and a whole bunch of other stuff. But he starts with that proclamation and then goes through how no matter how selfless we try to be or altruistic, ultimately it benefits us. And that's a, it's true. And you can consider it a paradox or you can consider it a genius of divine design which is both physically and spiritually, we are both nurtured and have the ability to serve others when we are in love and service. I mean, we're built to do that. And yeah, we get self-rewarded and it's self-reinforcing with neurotransmitters and feel-good juice and all the rest. Yep. Happy brain chemicals. Yeah, yeah, that's mm -hmm. fabulous. Well, so I love that and thank you for sharing all that. And you said something in our pre pre-recording chat <clears throat> about being very uh, WYSIWYG, you know, what you see is what you get. And I love that saying, and I love that sort of being. What is the, why do you think it is so hard to be transparent in terms of being authentic? And what is there going on in our world that makes us so prone to hide? Well, for many of us, it started in childhood. It started with um, parents who meant well, but may have transferred their own anxieties to us. My father was terrified of public speaking. My mother, on the other hand, could sell, as they say, ice cubes to Eskimos. And 
So watching both of them back and forth, back and forth, um, I got very confused when I was very young about who to be. And I think, you know, uh, again, families are different, but the family dynamic of what is honored by your parent, especially the most important parent to you, the one that could be the mother or the father, um, we end up with these fears that we don't even, I mean, they're, we're talking like 18 months. We're not, they're not even, we're not conscious of this at all. And then um, because uh, of the way our brains work, we self-select. So if we have the message, I'm shy, or we have the message of who I am is not okay, or we have the message of I need to be something different, then we self-select, um, we go through the world with a filter that filters for those things. Um, there's a part of the brain called the reticular activating system. I call it the powder blue pinto syndrome um, or the powder blue syndrome. So like I decide, oh my God, I've never seen a powder blue pinto. That's what I want. I go on the car lot, I negotiate the deal, I drive off the lot and on the way home, I see 10 powder blue pintos. Um, and that's, that's because before I had powder blue pinto in my filter, um, it was filtered out. And then as soon as I added it to my filter, then all of a sudden, no, more powder blue pintos did not appear. I've just now seen them. And so when we're children and then throughout our lives, if we have this message of not being enough as who we are, which most of us get it in some variety, it just comes on different flavors. So um, uh, if we get that message, we will self-select we will that reticular activating system will be on the lookout for the times that i fail at public speaking or the times that i um feel like i'm not enough for being exactly who i am where i'm told i'm too loud or um too fat or too short or you know too american or too whatever i mean you know too much of a horse lover i don't know it can be anything but we're looking for that not intentionally completely unconscious or subconscious probably and um and so I think that's where it starts. And then we have this society where we're all now Instagram influencers and we're all social media stars and we're especially, man, trying to sell some books. Wow. I mean, you know this, Kellen. you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we get we get dinged for being who somebody doesn't like. And um, and so my personal journey and the my journey, hopefully with the people I coach, is to find the way to just keep showing up as yourself and let everybody else self-select so that you end up with a team of people that are your people. And, um, and it's not easy. I mean, I preach this stuff all the time. I talk about it. I read about it. I want to do it. And there are days when I think, man, if I just wrote unicorn fantasy fiction my life would be so much easier <laughs> actually i actually have a, a unicorn fantasy novel in the drawer which i hope never sees the light of day because it's so bad but um but you know that's not really who i well maybe that is but uh but let's say um something like lord of the rings or some other just some other kind of thing or if i had continued to be an attorney because i practiced law for about 10 years and it was it was horrible job fit i hate conflict you cannot answer the phone all day long with the other, when the person on the other end of the phone, you know, their job is to prove you wrong. Um, right, it was awful. right. Yeah. So anyway, that's, but I think it, I think we have the wiring from childhood 
And then we have evolutionary mechanisms in our being that self-select. And we do that so unconsciously. So a lot of the work is asking, wait a minute, what, what are the messages you're telling yourself? And are they true? Are they true? One of the things that Byron Katie says uh, repeatedly in different places is what other people think of me is none of my business. And, you know, that is a, it's a true thing. It's difficult to, or can be difficult to integrate into your life. And it's funny because this podcast here started at the beginning of the pandemic uh, because somebody called my wife, who's my business partner, and said, um, does Kellen have a podcast? And I didn't at the beginning of the word lockdown, right? And he wanted something motivational to listen to. So she came downstairs and said, we have a podcast. And so, so I did, and I started Your Ultimate Life then, and now we're up to episode 800 and today, 35, I think. But anyway, so <clears throat> I created a, a word for that, and it's uh, Wittot, W-I-T-O-T. And I said, well, Wittot, the Wittot fungus kills more people than COVID ever will. And Wittot is an acronym, and it stands for What I Think Others Think. <sighs> and it's this sort of disease that we have that gets in the way of everything, and it's triggered in childhood. I mean, my whole upbringing was one of not good enough and et cetera, et cetera. So I totally get that. So then that's right. Uh, I believe, I think you're exactly right. It has affected you in profound ways. You talked about mental illness and uh, talked about it in a way that says, gee, it's severe for me. I struggle or had struggled to stay alive. And I assume that means both physically and energetically, which means engaged and active and functional. Talk about what is it that you do? Because the symbols and signals of not good enoughness or you suck for this or that reason are all over the place. No matter what you do or where you are, what do you do personally to um, ignore, let them run off? take whatever's worth taking and let the rest go, however you describe that in the world in which we interact. Because you can't be a coach without being visible and being somewhere. You won't find any clients. You won't have any conversation. You won't be able to add any good to the world because you're in a hole somewhere. So what do you do to help you stay focused, energetic, contributing, in love with life and your clients? What do you do? Well, actually, that's kind of my uh, tagline, well, my uh free ebook that's on my website. I have three tools for a happier, healthier life, healthier mind, really. Uh, three tools for a happier, healthier mind. And those are the three things that I do. And they kind of align with body, mind, and spirit a little bit. Um, but they are for, especially the physical, is for me, it's running, but it can be any kind of movement so that your body is moving your, um, not but your body, your heart rate raises. You have to get your heart rate up just a little bit to get um, things pumping. And then you start to flood your body, your brain, especially with happy brain chemicals. <clears throat> then I have writing as a practice. So it's not exactly journaling. It's, it's a timed writing, free writing, if you want to call it that. But um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. I learned it as a meditative technique from a woman named Natalie Goldberg, who I studied with for a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, in the writing practice, 
you're capturing sensory detail exactly as it is and noticing when you're judging and noticing when you're not and things like that. So it's more of a practice about what is going on in your mind when you're writing. Um, and you do this with the timed writing. And it's a way to process emotions also. And then the third thing, which is possibly the most powerful of the three, is meditation. And for me, that's a basic mindfulness practice. It's called Vipassana. It comes from a you know old Buddhist tradition, but it's a, it's just learning how to bring your mind where your body is into the present moment. And then in that process, you practice being with what is. So if you're trying to sit still and your foot falls asleep, you let it fall asleep and you notice what it feels like to let your foot fall asleep. Um, and you can do it a lot of different ways, but those are the big three for me. It's movement of some kind, writing. Uh, for me, it needs to be that practice where I'm not just venting, but capturing sensory detail. I could be venting, but I'm capturing sensory detail because it's about being present. And then the mindfulness practice. So those are the, the, the I have to have those three, um, not every day, but they bring me back to reality. And then once I have my, um, I don't know if you call it my grounding, my centering from those things, then I can go out in the world and engage with a very close circle of people. So let's say I'm having a place where I'm feeling particularly raw. Um, you know, I have sort of a little group of people inside my innermost moat that I can go to and um, we share very honestly and openly. And then from there, I can pretty much go out into the world and I'm fine. But it's just not every day. It just, it's just, it's kind of a day by day thing with me. And I think it is with most people. And what we have to do, especially people who have full-time jobs or families and stuff, is sometimes we have to fake it a little bit. But if we've experienced it, we know it's there. We just can't fake it for too long because then we get away from the truth of it, that, that it, we really are okay. But, well, that's uh, like pretending yeah. you're. That's like pretending you're eating. If you pretend yeah. <laughs> you're eating for long enough and don't actually eat, it right. doesn't work. And yeah. so you can, you can pretend do it for you're a little okay while. Yeah. Yeah. for a minute, yeah. and then you're not. I love the three things. So I have a, a morning ritual process that I teach um, clients also for the very same reason. It is intentional preparation, and the way I help people understand it is that like an athlete doesn't warm up after the game. You know, you're, if you're a musician and you're going to perform, sing or play or do whatever, you warm up first. Why? So you can be in the best shape to do it. And so that practice, whatever it is, I use the acronym SPEM, spiritual, physical, emotional, mental. But whatever your practice is, it is your intentional warm up. This is how I warm up to meet today. And meditation is a key one. I agree. And what I really enjoyed about the writing thing that you said was, not just writing, but the noticing whether or not you're just capturing the detail or you're making judgments, which is l listening to our thinking as opposed mm -hmm. to simply seeing what is. We're, we're now making, we're, we're coloring what is with the particular activating system. We're coloring what is in some way by judging it. And the movement, I totally agree. It's like paying honor or homage to the physical container of our, of our spirit. And that's... Uh, it's fun. I, I also have an L.A. talk radio show, which is a lot live on L.A. talk radio on Tuesdays. And this last Tuesday, I interviewed a lady who lives in Hawaii 
And she just published a book, and she was, uh, you know, all, I use that not in a negative way, but all the woo-woo, spiritual, 5D, vibrational stuff. Very cool, but also talking about the, the connection to body and spirit and awareness, and so that's a, a pervasive thing. How did you develop the system that you use with your clients? So talk a little bit about someone comes to you, they're, they're, they have a sense of dysfunction in some way. They've followed you, seen you, talked to you, maybe just engaged in a conversation or two, and they have a sense that you understand them, you get them, and that you have something to offer them. So how did you develop what you do? Oh, trial and error. <laughs> Absolutely trial and error. I um, thought about the people that helped me the most, mm -hmm. uh, the therapists, the coaches, the teachers. I thought about the ways in which, um, like the times in which I felt the greatest connection and the things that were most effective, the practices that were most effective. So I thought about all of that, and then I just started you know, throwing stuff on the wall, essentially, because that's kind of how I do it. Uh, I have been a kind of a personality type junkie for years, you can say. And that was one of the first times when I read a book about, I am an Enneagram 9, and when I read about the lost child, about the mediator, about feeling like I'm only okay if you're okay, oh my gosh, I felt like somebody had opened all the doors to our house growing up and seen my entire family and especially me for one of the first times in my life. I mean, I just, it just uh, blew my hair back. And so uh, recognizing that the reason um, that my siblings and I can have completely different memories, completely different reactions to a particular event that happened in our family, my husband and I can receive a gift and have two completely different experiences of it, um, a person in a stressful situation and a different coworker can experience an event at work and have completely different responses to it. Just knowing that we are so unique. And again, it kind of comes back to that. We're each an experiment of one thing. I knew I wanted to incorporate that somehow. So part of what I did was um, figured out questions to ask people to help them it's not like a, it's not as if I want to categorize people, but um, there are some general archetypes. I mean, archetypes are a thing. And so I try to figure out what archetype the person is and where they are on sort of their own. I don't really call it the hero's journey, but there's, you know, there's kind of a path that people take in life. And where are they? Because the, the thing I want to do is I want to help them figure out where they're stuck. I don't want to tell them where they're stuck. I want them to figure it out. It's much more powerful for them to do that. And so I just, um, just try, and I'm still trying different things. I mean, I always will be, if I see something new, I'll think, Oh, let's bring that in and see if that works. And it has to work for me too. So it doesn't have to work for me, for example, my personality type, but it has to work for my coaching style, which is a very fluid, open, um, easygoing kind of style. And uh, um, and then from there, I choose, yes, that works. No, that doesn't. And and also for the individual. But um, but it, I try to make it very tailored without saying, OK, so what do you want? Because people don't know or they think they know what they want. 
and then they get it and it actually doesn't help because we're, we're just horrible at judging what's going to make us happy. We just, we're just, human beings are the worst at figuring out what's going to make us happy. And so, um, so yeah, trial and error is the short answer. Uh, I'm really good at giving long answers to short questions. So. That's okay. So why are we, you said something right there at the end that I just want to take a minute to explore. Why are we so bad at figuring out what we want? Are we stupid? I don't think we're stupid. I think we're just misguided. I think we're sold a lot of things by, um, you know, the companies that want to sell us stuff. And we, again, we have these messages from childhood. Um, you know, your mother says, well, if you make, if you make me happy, then you'll be happy. And you don't know you're a year old, you're, you know, six months old. You're just, I mean, and she's not saying that to you and you're not hearing it that way, but that's what we learn. We learn it um, lots of different ways. And, and we keep trying things and, you know, there's just a, there, especially, I mean, you're, I know you're in Canada. I'm sure you have a lot of this too, but the American thing is, my gosh, you have got to create your own destiny or you are doomed. You know, that, that is a lot of pressure, quite frankly, that is way too much pressure for me. But these messages, we get them, we get them from our family, we get them from society, we get them from the people we hang out with, we get them, we got them from childhood and, uh, there's probably some much better answer, but that's my, that's been no, no, my that's experience. fine. Yeah. So what if, what if, what if is absolute truth to what you said, you are creating your own destiny, whether you do it on purpose or you're doing it accidentally and you are, but the, I think maybe the problem comes when you believe you accept the judgment that whatever it is you've created isn't okay. Because well, yeah, you, there's that too. Yeah. You know, you are creating your, your destiny. I mean, what you believe, what you do, what you don't do, everything else, it creates your life experience. But the judgment that comes with it, it should have been this, it's not okay there, this, you know, somebody else's opinion. Anyway, all right, well. No, that's, no, that, that yeah. let me just back up on that, though, because that is part of what meditation has helped me with, mm -hmm. is to, um, I think, did we, I'm not sure we were rolling when, we, when I said this, but I was joking about the fact that I call myself a mindfulness coach. But what I probably should call myself is a reality coach, because the first step in any of this process is accepting where we're at and not being in denial about whatever is actually going on. Why and is once, that so hard? I, I, I don't know. Talking, That's a good question. I, because I love it. <laughs> uh, be, the only I mean, it's another thing from Byron Katie or somebody else says the only problem we have is believing our thinking. And, you know, that's sort of an overgeneralization, but it is that. Why do we have so much trouble telling or accepting the truth about what is? There's some fear that then we'll have to fix it or that it is unfixable or it makes us unlovable. There's something, there's always some kind of veil that beyond which that there's just fear. It's always fear. It is. And it the fear could be... Um, I'm not enough. It's going to be too much. Um, it's not going to be enough. I'm not going to be loved. I'm not going to be fed. I'm not going to be sheltered. I mean, usually it comes down to something very evolutionary, uh, which of course, when we were children, if we weren't loved, we would die because they wouldn't feed us and we couldn't feed ourselves. So it, a lot of it comes, you know, way, I, we, I'd go way, way back. I mean, I don't necessarily talk about this specifically, but we just get to this place where, um, what we are fundamentally isn't enough. And I think, again, I'm, I'm going to pick on social media a little bit because I've been trying to take a little bit of a step back from it myself. 
and we see these images and it used to be magazines women's magazines were the the ones when i was growing up my mom would bring home you know cosmo and all this and i mean i will never look like anybody on a cover of vogue or something like that you know and so when you when you have these standards even though she didn't say to me oh you should look like that she might say wow I, you know this is a gorgeous image or this is a gorgeous she's really pretty or something like that and not even thinking i mean she just was being attracted maybe she wanted to look like that i don't know um but yeah it's uh, that's where we have to start we have to start and i don't even sometimes i don't ask why because I can get down a rabbit hole that I can't answer. Um, and so I'm much more likely to deal with what than why. Uh, sometimes why is important and you have to get to the why to, to help um, things change. But a lot of times we just need to deal with what's actually going on. I, and, I love that. Yeah. And I want to want to just start right, stop right there for a sec. The, the why is like endless hours on some shrink's couch. And maybe you need that and maybe you don't. But dealing with what is and starting there and then say, okay, what is what's next is so such a good starting point, because when you say what is is how you got there. Yeah, maybe that matters and maybe it doesn't. But now that you're here, what are you going to do? I want to give you the chance now to just tell everybody all about your books, your programs, where to find you, like everything that you want someone who has heard this and says, ooh, that's cool. I should x read more see more connect more whatever it is so the best place to find everything about me is nitasweeney.com that's my website nitasweeney.com i is write it sweeney s-w-e-e-n-e-y or s-w-e-n-n-y e-y and e-y three e's total so it's n-i-t-a-s-w-e-e-n-e-y.com I say Although that I think because I, when you have a name like Kellen Flukiger, you pay attention to that. Sort well, of stuff. my maiden name was Buttlemeyer, so. Okay, I get it. I, Perfect. I, I was not, I did not necessarily intend to change my name, but just, Sweeney was much easier. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> I write, speak, and teach about mental health, mental wellness, really, um, and mind wellness thinking and physical and emotional wellness and so my best-selling book is called depression hates a moving target it's a running and mental health memoir it's about how i accidentally started running at 49 after seeing a facebook i was in a bad bad place and i saw a facebook post of a friend and uh, who started running and i thought we might need to do a wellness check but the rest of it's in the book i ended up running and love it and that's my thing now i've been doing that now for what 13 14 years um my <clears throat> second book is a writing journal it's blank uh blank pages with quotes that kind of act as prompts um the book i'm probably the proudest of has 79 footnotes it's called make every move a meditation and it's how to meditate while you're doing any kind of movement whether it's walking or eating or for me it's running dancing, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, pickleball, you name it, you can meditate while you're doing it. And uh, there's a lot of science in that book about um, the benefits of meditation and the med benefits of movement. And so we're combining the two. And then my most recent book, I'm so proud of, it's this little one right here. It is a daily reader. It's uh, a daily dose of now. So it's a one of those little 365 readers with a quote, a little explainer of how I do this and then today's practice, which is do this. And it's something simple like 
when you walk through a door, notice which foot goes through first. Little tiny little things to just sort of um, give you a mindful micro hit to bring your mind into the moment just for one moment today. So all of my books, as you can tell, I basically write memoir. That's the truth. I write about me, um, although there's other examples in Make Every Move Meditation. And as we kind of started with this is why do I do all this? I found that sharing what has worked for me helps me feel like I'm a benefit. I'm of worth. I can be helpful to others. And I uh, ended up coaching people asked me to do that. I had been teaching writing for many years. And so I coach writers, uh, creatives, really. I've coached some artists other, of other, other um, mediums also, media also. Um, I coach um, leaders, I say, but it's just anybody in the corporate world, mostly lawyers. I've coached some lawyers. And then athletes, mostly runners. So I get people who got injured and can't deal with it, um, stopped running, want to get back into it, but don't know what to do. I get writers who um, don't know where to start, writers who used to write and got stopped. Um, and I have a lot of people who I get, um, I'm not a career counselor, but I get a lot of people who are at a place where their day jobs just absolutely aren't working for them anymore. And so we try to figure out how to either change their um, relationship to their day job or figure out how to get them unstuck so they can change if they need to. Again, it's just start with where we're at, start with reality, and then see what we can do from there, especially taking into consideration their personality um, leanings. Perfect. So as we wind up, tell me, have you, is there anything we forgot? Any piece you want to leave? with it dogs you, you love dogs have, that's a great place a dog yeah you should probably get a dog that would be really the answer we probably don't need anything else you just need a dog no i'm just you teasing don't. but <laughs> <laughs> thank Nita, you I so wanna, much for these questions yeah, oh my I gosh <laughs> thank you for being here and sharing stuff with us today thanks for being with us well, thank you and thanks to your audience just uh we're good people but you're good people so i want to encourage all of you to go back and listen again she talks fast and says a lot of good stuff. <laughs> so go back and listen to this again and get some of those books and make a choice. The real key is to just make a choice to make some changes, even little ones. Start today, start where you are, and one thing at a time moving forward, you'll be able to create your ultimate life. Open your heart in this time. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope that you take it deeply into your heart and decide for yourself how you can create anything you desire. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback and topic suggestions. Until tomorrow, this is Your Ultimate Life with host Kellen Flukiger. Stand with your heart.